The past year has required CEOs to be more flexible and nimble than ever, something exemplified by Scott Cutler, the CEO of online consumer goods marketplace StockX. Cutler, a former New York Stock Exchange and eBay executive, talks on this Powered by Battery podcast with Battery General partner Roger Lee about how he's kept StockX growing during the pandemic. This includes expanding into new product areas and keeping the company's authentication centers open, all with a healthy dose of empathy and a focus on communicating early and often with his core constituencies. Have a listen. Well, Scott, uh, thanks so much for joining us. We're obviously thrilled to have you as our guest here on Powered by Battery. Um, And maybe we should start from the top um, and talk a little bit about uh, just what what actually is StockX. You know, I think for the the average consumer, they may think of you or think of of the company as a sneaker marketplace. But I'd love to hear your your description. How How would you describe StockX? First, thanks, Roger, for uh, for the opportunity, and thanks, Battery and the Battery team for what's been a great partnership for a really exciting company. Uh, I'll talk a little bit about you know StockX. So, what our vision is to be the leading e-commerce platform for consumers of current culture, and and when we look at the StockX experience today, it's powered by over 100,000 products from the best brands in the world, Jordan, Adidas, Nike, Apple, Sony, Microsoft, Bape, Off-White, Louis Vuitton, Gucci, Rolex, on and on. And you know, since the company was launched uh, back in 2016, it is now one of the fastest growing online marketplaces in the world, but it's really powered by this idea that consumers want access to authenticated products from the best brands in the world. And we leverage our marketplace model to be able to deliver on that experience to those consumers. And it's been a super exciting journey for us. Yeah, no, it's been great. And certainly as, as you know, there's two words you used in your description that were, were really important. And, and I think it might make sense to double click on both for a minute. One was around authentication and one was around marketplace dynamics. Maybe if you could describe for a minute, what do you mean by both of those? Because I think they're important uh, uh, features of the business that don't really exist in other online marketplaces and, and make StockX particularly unique. Sure. I'll talk about them in the, in the reverse order because it really starts with a marketplace experience. And, you know, I think hopefully the listeners here understand what we're talking about in marketplaces, but we're obviously so familiar with a marketplace experience in, um, you know, in rides, in transportation, in hospitality. Um, in my background was, 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 was sports and entertainment and obviously and in commerce and in, in, in the marketplaces of today, really leveraging a platform to connect, buyers and sellers um, on a platform. And the, and the advantages to marketplaces, particularly in consumer e-commerce, you know, is simply that you're able to deliver an experience typically that is not limited to inventory that you've purchased or is on your shelf. It's coming from a diverse set of supply out there and able to deliver this supply in a very different consumer expectation than can be delivered in traditional that in traditional models, and for us in 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 consumer e-commerce, and this is across those brands that I highlighted, you know the 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 
the existing experience would be, I want this new product that's being released by Nike. It's only available on Saturday at 7 a.m. I stand in a line or I'm part of a club um, and I try and get that product and I can't get it. Whereas the marketplace experience would be everything that's different than that, which is, yeah, I want that product. I'm going to get that product. And it's just more of a function of how much am I willing to pay for that product? But I have access to that wherever I want, wherever I'm around the world. And there's no boundaries or geographies or physical locations that limit that experience. When you, when you, when you couple that with authentication and consumer products, this is also something that's never been done before um, in consumer marketplaces. And, and we're obviously familiar with the best consumer marketplaces in the world, whether that be Amazon, eBay, Alibaba, you know, even uh, platforms like Walmart now have third-party marketplaces. But in all of those examples, um, and even going back into other marketplaces we're familiar with, such as content or other areas, it's rare that the platform itself does anything between the buyer and the seller to authenticate the actual experience. And for us, what that means is that every product that's purchased on the platform that comes from a seller, that product is sent, sent to StockX where we authenticate that product. And then we send that product to the buyer and we're authenticating for can't be in a damaged box. It's the right size. It's the right color. It's the right style. There's no manufacturing defect. And, and obviously, is it fake or authentic? And people always think of that last piece of fakeness as the thing that we're authenticating. But in a marketplace, it's actually all those other things that become way more important because, again, we don't own inventory. We're bringing that supply out to the market, but we want to deliver a very consistent user experience to that buyer. And so in the end, when you combine marketplace plus authentication to the buyers, uh, they're getting an experience coming from a marketplace from branded goods um, that is as good and as trusted as getting that product directly from the brand itself, but in a very differentiated way, which is, which is meant for our consumers. StockX is the first place destination for high demand consumer, uh, consumer goods. Yeah, there, there's a word you, you used in there uh, where you said trust. And trust, I think, is one of the things that, that StockX has been able to crack. If you look at all of the marketplaces you mentioned, uh, eBay, Alibaba, Amazon, one of the, the real challenges they've had historically is around uh, enabling explicit trust between buyers and sellers. And, and historically, have left that up to the, the buyers and sellers to figure that out on their own with seller reviews and other you know, somewhat half-baked mechanics. Uh, but in the case of StockX, you, you've made that trust explicit where, where StockX has taken on that role by guaranteeing authenticity and guaranteeing trust. Um, how do you think that that changes the nature of the opportunity here and, and kind of the segments of the market that it enables for us that, that might be different from, you know, an, an eBay or, or uh, an Amazon where, where trust is not, uh, is not part of the equation? Yeah, so I'll, I'll use a word that you used, which is more of a guarantee, which has really been the approach prior to StockX of handling the consumer experience. It was largely done post-transaction um, in you know, one, of my, one of my many former lives in running a company called StubHub was an event-going experience. But what trust meant in that experience, which is if you showed up to the game and that ticket didn't work, 
you were going to get your money back. You know, you, you wouldn't have given it to somebody who sold it to you. And then you find out that that ticket didn't work. Um, and while that only happened at a limited uh, amount of times on that platform, the best that we could do in that experience was to give you your money back. Um, now, you know, StockX is so different because in the, the analogy would be prior to you even going to that event, we've, we've actually authenticated that, that item before the consumer gets it. So we've actually already looked at it, made sure that it conforms to what you expected it to be. Um, and it's our job to deliver that 100% of the time and it's pre-transaction. So, you know, you know, it's not a guarantee after the fact that, hey, the consumer's protected. It's essentially, it's a promise before you even get the product that we've done the work uh, to make sure that it's authentic for all the things that I just, that I just described. And that um, step to be in the middle of the seller and the buyer has not been done in, in any other marketplaces because it's complex it's operationally intense. It can be expensive. And, you know, and again, the goal is to essentially have every customer, if I came in and I bought this product that I have an expectation of what it is, that, um, you know, 100% of the time, you're not going to open that box and say, well, this isn't what I expected, uh, which happens actually a significant amount of time on other, on other marketplaces. Yep. It's, and it's happened to me uh, for better or worse. I've been a victim of that multiple times. Um, you know, if you think about the framework of the business, some of the, the topics you know, you've walked us through here, uh, you know, you've talked about the marketplace mechanics, uh, authentication, trust and guarantees uh, around, you know, the quality um, of, of the product itself. What other categories does it apply to, but how broad could this be? And what other categories do you think um, could could be successful on StockX, you know, that don't potentially uh, have the same success or same liquidity in other marketplaces. So when the when the company was started, the, the vision was not to be a uh, you know sneaker X. Um, it was really using what was then called stock market mechanics, which today really means a product based experience, transparency in pricing, anonymity between buyer and seller. Uh, but the idea was creating a stock market-like experience for consumer goods. And that was the original vision. And, and that remains true for us today. Um, it just so happened that there was, uh, it, you know, the initial product here in, in sneakers, so to speak, it has been so successful and continues to be so successful, is growing very rapidly. Uh, but um, if you look at the history of StockX, we have other, what we call verticals, but it's other categories that buyers can shop in. Um, the second category was watches, and then it was handbags. Um, and then it was actually streetwear and apparel. And apparel became the number two market effectively the second that that catalog was turned on for a lot of the same reasons that sneakers took off. We found a, a very similar overlap with the customer base items that also had scarce and tradable value. Um, a year ago, we launched um, collectibles as a as another category, which include everything from toys to figurines to trading cards, and that's been a rapidly growing part of the experience. I think one of the more exciting things was really what what happened to us in Q4 
of this last year, which we actually had prepared for, but we had launched electronics as a category. And the two standout products um, in that were the Sony PlayStation and Xbox new consoles that were released in the holiday season last year. And we turned on those product pages and they instantly became uh, the destination for acquiring those products during the holiday season against almost every other site out there. And so electronics uh, turned out to be a category that uh, that notion of authenticating and having a product-based experience was so differentiated uh, than, than, than anywhere else because you weren't able to get this product in, in the retail experience. And, and in electronics, it's also an interesting example where authentication, we've talked about so far, had a great value proposition to buyers, which is a trusted experience, but it also proved out to be a very valuable proposition for sellers, uh, particularly in electronics, because once we had authenticated that product, uh, we paid out uh, to the seller. And since we don't allow for, uh, for returns on the platform, you know, the sellers didn't have to deal with customer service issues that they experienced on other marketplaces, which is buyers returning product that was used or returning a different product or saying that it wasn't as described. We stood in the middle of that transaction and really guaranteed that experience for the seller. For So in that new category, it became frictionless to sell electronics on StackX, less friction than any other marketplace, which was, again, a really a great, uh, great surprise for us. Uh, but the but the those two products, the uh, Sony and the Xbox consoles, were our two highest selling products on the entire platform for the entire year, and we only had them in the catalog starting in mid November. <laughs> it gives you a sense a sense of size and scale of of that um, in our in our business. Yeah, no, it's it's a powerful new uh, vector for growth. I and mean, if you were to, to figure out the, the common denominator between these categories that are working, you know, sneakers, streetwear, electronics, you know, I'm sure there'll be, there'll be many more over time. Um, are there certain uh, shared characteristics? Uh, you mentioned before, you know, scarcity of supply, um, you know, maybe it's opaque pricing, uh, high demand. Are, the, are those the right kind of common denominators that, that we should think of that work really well on this type of marketplace? For sure, all of those, all of those, um, all of those descriptions work very well for high demand products. So, you know, something that's released, there might be an arbitrage or economic difference between what it's sold in retail to what it's available in the in the secondary market. Um, scarcity, which is a strategy now that's driven by most brands in terms of releases or drops out into the marketplace. And then this idea of tradable assets, you know, Wall Street is always already talking about StockX as the next new asset class. And for this next generation of consumer, which is really, you know, think of this as the age, um, you know, the teenager to the 30 year old today, you know, sees the opportunity out there in consumer products as an economic opportunity. So if you were lucky enough to get one of these products at release, you could resell it and make money uh, doing so. Um, but there's also other, um, you know, things in our catalog that that trade for different reasons. Um, and, you know, for example, even in electronics, we have an example of, you know, the new uh, AirPods, for example, that are sold by uh, by Nike uh, or by, by Apple. Um, this wouldn't be necessarily scarce, 
um, but they're not being, uh, they're, they're not widely accessible and they're, they're being released in February and March. Those are selling uh, really well on StockX. Products that also are not scarce, but are released more in mass out there that are given away for free, but actually have value. Uh, there's a lot in electronics, as an example, everything from AirPods to accessories that are sometimes given away that have economic value. Yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's interesting how you um, evolved and expanded the role of the marketplace. Again, if you contrast it back to the days of, you know, eBay, let alone Craigslist, where you know these are, are quote thin marketplaces where they, they provided very little beyond simply a matching engine between buyers and sellers. And you know, you you look at how that the model has evolved and and all of the value and all of the um, workflow that StockX takes in, in intermediating and managing the transaction. And one example you, you highlighted in, in a recent comment was, you know, the fact that there's no returns uh, makes the sale so much more uh, uh, simple for the seller. They can get paid sooner. They never have to deal with customer service. This is unheard of, you know, in yeah, yeah. commerce. So as you think about that opportunity and, and really uh, inventing more workflow and more kind of managed services that you can embed into the marketplace uh, to make it even more compelling for sellers or buyers, are there things that you're prioritizing or things that you think will, will continue to facilitate uh, the, the transaction and the liquidity between buyers and sellers, like the example, you know, that yeah. you just described? Yeah, so a couple of things come to mind. You know, one, you, you talked about something relative to sellers and 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 returns. But one of the things that I really liked that you asked was this idea of liquidity. And um, you know, as you as you may know, in my background prior to being at eBay and StubHub, I was at the New York Stock Exchange, and obviously they're operating a marketplace, the largest financial marketplace, largest marketplace in the world. But liquidity enables transactions of both buying and selling, and it and the more liquidity that you have, the more transactions you're able to, you know, to essentially tease out into the marketplace. And if you can be the center place of that liquidity, uh, you become um, you have you have great power in terms of market data and market share. And that's what I saw happen in the exchanges. So so for us, when we can be that center of liquidity for the market. Uh, we have incredibly powerful market data that we can provide to our sellers. We actually do that transparently on the market um, every day where you can see with transparency all of the bids and asks by product at, and the depth of that of that liquidity. Uh, we also provide a lot of market data in terms of the last transaction. This is the price history that you can see on every product, which is very, very powerful data uh, for the consumer. Uh, but then when we get into the actual experience itself, uh, when you talk about services, um, there are certain retail standards that we still feel as though we have opportunities to deliver. Um, returns would be a typical uh, retail standard. For us, it doesn't make sense because um, items are trading with such volatility on the marketplace that providing returns also could create some weird incentives. You don't think about be able to return a share of Apple if it's run 20% in either direction since you bought it and before you got it. You know, we, 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 we similarly think it's, it's probably not something that we want to provide. 
but other services for sellers could include um, items where uh, we could take that inventory, for example, um, into a warehouse, pre-authenticate that item, hold that in custody for the, for the seller, um, and then to the buyer, we're delivering maybe a next day or a same day experience. And so we're, we're building that capability to do that today. Um, there's, there's, there's technology and we can talk about our authentication center strategy, but that's part of it. Um, and then also to that, to that same seller and to the buyer, other services and opportunities, which are pretty exciting to us, you know, include what you can do with that information. So that information could guide a trading activity an index, a derivative, um, you know, a different financial product uh, that you could use that could include insurance or could include maybe a bet against the market. Those types of things, when we have the data and we're the center of the market, are really exciting future opportunities for us as a marketplace that very other marketplaces could deliver because they don't have a similar design in the marketplace that starts with the product and a bid ask market and a, you know, more stock market like functionality. And so those are all a couple of ideas or things that we're super excited about into the future. Yeah. I mean, I can see how uh, our end customer would certainly uh, be enamored with those opportunities uh, and being able to, um, you know, kind of almost turn these into financial products. Uh, and so the, your, your background is obviously very relevant given the work you did at the, the New York Stock Exchange as you think through the opportunity and, and the dynamics there. But maybe switching gears, Scott, you know, to, to your background and to your professional journey, you know, I, I could argue you were almost, you know, genetically engineered to lead this company. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned earlier between the New York Stock Exchange and, uh, you know, time at, at StubHub, but you also worked at eBay, uh, which yeah. I was... Is the, is the parent company of StubHub. But talk about the, that journey, working through those three very different types of marketplaces and how that prepared you for StockX. And, and at the same time, what, why is StockX different and potentially you know, bigger and more compelling than yeah. uh, you know, your, the various marketplaces you've worked at in the past? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't um, start out that journey thinking that I'd have this marketplace thread through my career, but it, it just turned out to be that way now. Um, you know, I, 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 I've, um, when I, when StockX started the very first press release, you know, essentially say we're building the stock market of things based on the principles of the New York Stock Exchange, StubHub and eBay. To me, it was a call to action. And I reached out to the founder, I think, as you know, Josh on that day, um, the very day the company was announced. And I sent him a LinkedIn message and said, there's one person in the world that has all of those things in their background. At the time I was the CEO at StubHub, um, but, I, but I said, you know, there's one person in the world who's, who's either run or been a part of the senior management team of all those platforms. But I really think the combination of, those, of these things is a huge idea and I'd love to be able to help. And maybe unique to this situation is I had three years of working with the founders of the company as, you know, quasi advisor, but just kind of helper. Cause I was just so curious about the combination of the things that were all in my background that they were building and bringing together and brought to life in StockX that I was just so excited about. And in many respects, it was also the weaknesses that I saw at StubHub 
um, and the weaknesses that I saw in the eBay experience and how difficult it was to actually create a product-based experience and how difficult it was to, um, you know, to deliver an authenticated experience, which both of those things have been tried and failed experiences on platforms that I had been at before. And so not only did I see sort of the grandeur of the potential division, but I'd also experienced firsthand in these other marketplaces, the challenges of being, of starting from a listings-based experience versus a product-based experience. And so I was intellectually curious from the very beginning that all these things could be brought together in a unique approach. And, you know, I didn't know then that it would be as successful as it has become. Uh, but for me, I've always thought it would be, wouldn't it be absolutely serendipitous for me to have had this background? And then at this point in my career, later part of, part of my career, to join a company that actually perfectly represents my background. Yeah. And the part and the part that you didn't mention, uh, which arguably is ju just as compelling and relevant, is you're a total sneakerhead. Yeah, I was. Yeah, exactly. Founder and a handful of our authenticators. I think you know more about this product and the categories that you know we sell into than than certainly anybody else at the company. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't say anybody else at the company. I, I, it's it's actually hard for me to. Uh, to actually hold a fire against some of the experts that we have at StockX. It's a pretty cool place to work. I'm obviously older than the average age of the uh, StockX team member, but uh, but it is a it is a fun place to be when you're um, I brought my 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 15 year old son with me to one of our authentication centers. And, you know, he sat there at, at one of these authentication pods and seeing just this product that's coming through every single box was a surprise. And my son came away for the day. I was like, dad, I just want to be a StockX authenticator. How cool a job is that? And, uh, you know, but it's kind of a sense of what's, what's happening at StockX. It's a, a, a community of, of, and team members that, you know, we really love what we do every day. Yeah. No, it's a unique culture. Maybe actually switching gears then to leadership and culture, you know, 2020 has been a transformative year, uh, really across the board. Um, it'd be it'd be hard to understate how um, much change happened in our economy, uh, in our um, communities, uh, and certainly at, at StockX. And as you look back on the past year, what were the the one or two biggest challenges for you? And maybe just unpacking the question a little bit, you know, maybe think about it from one lens of just an operational challenge and yeah. and all the scale and the growth, and maybe the other one is more of a leadership and cultural challenge given uh, a broader discourse of, of, you know, kind of racial tension, Black Lives Matter, uh, remote working and all of the, the issues that come with that. Yeah. So from a, um, you know, from a personal perspective and a leadership perspective as a, as a CEO, but also just as a person, a father and employee, you know, I'd say the set of challenges that we've faced this this year um, I can't say that I've experienced any of them back to back. And certainly the collection of those challenges um, have just been immense as a person. Um, I've, I've felt all of them in all of my different roles and responsibilities. Um, so I think 2020, you know, delivered a set of, of, of terms that none of us had, had experienced and quite frankly, a perfect playbook as to how to execute against that. Um, and so I, I'd say for me personally, I've been challenged at every level just to be able to um, execute through the environment. I've grown tremendously by the lessons I've learned. 
And I'd say on the personal and leadership uh, perspective, um, you know, the things that are probably mo most deeply personal in terms of the things that I've learned this year is how to lead with a lot more empathy and understanding, certainly giving the personal circumstances that our team went through, continuing to go through, and just sometimes just showing up to work every day. Um, I'd say um, learning to, to be an empathetic leader every day and showing that in front of the team has really been, uh, has really just opened my eyes tremendously as a leader uh, this, this year, more so than any other time before. Um, I've been through major crises before. I mean, I've, I've had a long career and I've had an intense career with global experience. Um, this crisis has just has just been so intense for everybody uh, personally. So it's been a real expanding year for me. I think operationally, um, you know, kind of given all of those things, our goal as a company has really been to remain open, to be stable and strong um, as a marketplace throughout the pandemic. Um, and so for us, uh, being open as an example, um, you know, in a time where everything in the world was closed, even some of the places where we were operating authentication centers, we had to operate through executive orders that had us change the way we work. We had to put safety in, at the forefront of everything that we did. Being stable as a marketplace meant that we could handle, you know, not only the extremes of the personal circumstances, but we also dealt with in the pandemic an explosion of growth um, that we experienced and accelerated over the course of the year. Um, and so for us, you know, expanding and growing during a time operationally to be able to handle that volume uh, took, a, took a, an inordinate amount of focus and dedication from the team. And then strong for us was really about um, diversity and inclusion and empathy of our team uh, for us to be able to be and rally together as a team of, of diverse individuals from, from a team around the world. Um, those three things really enabled us operationally to deliver on our customer promise and our experience, which wasn't perfect, uh, but we learned a lot through that. Um, but because we were able to be, to operate that way during the most extreme times of March and April, it set us up for what we've experienced in, you know, the third and fourth quarter is our, you know, some of our highest growth rates as a company and at scale and at global operations and across multiple categories goes on and on. Well, I will say, you know, you emphasized early in that answer, the importance of, of empathy and, and how, you know, this has been a year where you know, you've wanted to kind of learn how to be a more empathetic leader. And I, I will say you, you were kind enough to invite me and other you know, board members to participate uh, in one of the um, kind of recognition events and ceremonies for the authentication centers. And it's clear, you know, after watching you kind of lead the employees and lead that, that meeting, you know, how empathetic you are and how, how easily you were able to connect and um, really just express your gratitude to, to them for all the work they did under obviously yeah. very challenging circumstances. So for what it's worth, you know, I know that said, sounded like it was a goal for, from my vantage point, you clearly, you know. Yeah. But, but I would say, I, I, maybe I just add to it because I think for the listener out there, I, you know, there's probably two kernels of things that 
um, that we put in place that were really powerful for us. Uh, one, just as a leader and my leadership team, um, we open up each one of our leadership team meetings every week with a personal check-in, uh, you know, and working remotely, that's, that's, you know, that's obviously different, but that personal check-in allowed us to connect personally to what we were all experiencing in a very different way. And that was a secret to our success as a leadership team. So that's one thing. And then the second thing relative to the team that you talked about was really the power of recognition, uh, the power to be able to recognize the great thing that's great things that are happening by our team members around the world. But people really want to be recognized and they should be recognized. And I think we dialed that up in really fun and exciting ways. But I'd say those two things were, were things that are, you know, we're applying that and actually amplifying it coming out of it. But I don't think had we done those two things, that we, we, we would be in the position that we are today of being open, strong, and stable. And those were, you know, kind of two little, little secrets for us that, um, you know, that were really amplifiers to our business. Yeah, no, and, and it's interesting you, you referenced the personal check-in. I know many companies that do that. If you don't mind me asking, how, how do you do it? Uh, is it simply a word? Is it the emotion that I feel in the moment? Is it a, uh, a reflection that I share? Yeah just at the beginning of the meeting, at the end of the meeting? How, how have you implemented that? Well, you know, I think when we provide the opportunity to say, you know, where am I at today? How am I experiencing life? What's going on for me personally in my life? Um, you know, as a leadership team, and I, I actually proudly say this, we've had, um, you know, we've had uh, team members, myself, break down in crying. We've had We've had deaths, we've had um, life experiences, we've had babies born. Um, you know, we, we've, we've um, gone through extreme political challenges, social challenges, all those have kind of come in that, in that check-in. And so it's actually a pretty raw emotional experience that we have together. But, we, but I decided to do that at the beginning of the year, not pre-pandemic as a way to make sure that we were just all connected to each other. And it became a really powerful to tool for us to connect, you know, when we weren't together physically. And um, and now it's almost therapeutic for all of us. And we've bonded so much as a team because we kind of know what's going on in each other's lives personally, uh, which before we probably just didn't take the time to do that. And now we actually see that as a way for us to then be more efficient in our other decision making or how we're showing up in 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 meetings and in leadership because we have a much better understanding of each other um which makes us way more efficient yeah it's interesting because i think you and i probably both grew up in a world where the the phrase you know it's business it's not personal uh, yeah was, okay. was said. and in fact i'd say most of the best leaders i work with have the complete opposite perspective where business is personal uh, yeah. And so much of the work that we do is intertwined with our personal lives and trying to embed that into our uh, into our meetings, into our style, into the culture of the company seems like a really powerful uh, way to to you know increase the connective tissue between you and the and the rest of the leadership team and all all of the employees. Um, do you have any any suggestions for other leaders who will be listening, you know for things that that they could do or best practices you've learned? during 2020 that you think you'll, you'll continue into 2021? Yeah. So I would say, um, 
you know, in, in crisis times, um, you know, for me, as I pulled back on my experience at the New York Stock Exchange, that could have been the, you know, 2008 economic crisis, Hurricane Sandy at, at eBay. My time at eBay, we had hurricanes, floods, fires that impacted the marketplace. But I'd say the things that um, really came to bear for us was around, uh, first of all, internal communications, uh, the power of internal communications, having a team just dedicated to internal communications allowed us to have, you know, clear communications out to our stakeholders, which included, uh, you know, our team members, our customers, um, our board, um, our sellers. Um, that was critical for us. Uh, we had already done a lot of that work prior to the pandemic. And so we called into it. Uh, business continuity and contingency planning um, you know, again, being difficult to anticipate this type of crisis, but, uh, for example, in Q4, um, you know, we anticipated, uh, continuity challenges associated with the rise of e-commerce from transportation, logistics, how to manage COVID. We had four different layers of continuity planning that we put into play in Q4 because we had thought about it in advance. Um, and, you know, and then as a CEO, uh, being highly visible with your team, and it's not only just internal communications, but I did a, um, I do a, a day or a weekly um, a town hall with the entire company every week. Um, and those have been very powerful sessions where we've been able to answer questions. I've had to, you know, stand in front of the, question, the company on very difficult issues um, as we went through the year, um, but standing in front of the company every single week with that level of accountability uh, turned out to be a really powerful mechanism to get alignment uh, from the team. So I'd say, I'd say those are probably three things that um, as a leader, I would suggest that, you know, in, in probably in any industry or any position that internal communications, continuity, and, and just being open in your communication are probably things that work well uh, probably anywhere. Yeah, no, I cer certainly agree with that. And if there was a year where where the power and impact of, of strong communication skills were revealed, it was certainly 2020. You know, where you couldn't be together, and I think it put obviously a lot of stress on on, on how teams worked. And so, being a uh, a leader that could effectively communicate through that uh, that that challenging time, you know, was really powerful. You know, Scott, as we, as we start winding the interview down here, what, one question I have to ask is Detroit. Detroit's been, it's such yeah. a core part of the business and the story and the history and obviously the future as well. Um, what, what, is, what has Detroit meant to, meant to you and, and to the company and kind of the foundation you know, of, of the story here and our success? I'd love to hear it from your, your vantage point. Yeah, so it's so important. Uh, it's a great, it's a great question. Um, you know, preceding me, uh, you know, one of our founders, Dan Gilbert, um, obviously well known for um, Quicken Loans, Rocket Mortgage, the Cavs. You know, he had made a decision years ago to move his whole company to downtown Detroit. And for those that don't know, know, we're part of what that's called the family of companies. He made the commitment to develop. Uh, Detroit as an urban core with moving jobs and being a, a technology hub. And StockX is actually right at the center of this experience. I mean, we're, um, you know, 
StockX itself is the um, uh, most successful in terms of capital raise of any venture-backed company in the history of Detroit and the state of Michigan. Uh, so we're a part of that. Uh, but it's also been an, an exciting place that we're able to get great talent, create jobs, um, and be able to build a global world-leading company, not in a Silicon Valley zip code. And you know, prior to me joining the company, having the opportunity to spend time with, with, with Dan as it was kind of leading up to my decision to join the company, hearing his passion around what he was trying to build and continuing to build in Detroit is certainly ethos that I carry on, uh, that I'm so proud to represent that StockX is a Detroit headquartered company. Uh, but it's also, I think now, um, Interestingly, so in the remote work scenario, you know, I think a, a place now where the location of your company maybe becomes a little bit more with less definition, um, you know, we're able to attract talent and build a company around the world in that environment with the Detroit headquarters that uh, maybe would have been more difficult to do if we were always interested in those physical locations. Yeah, I mean, as a um, as now a frequent visitor to Detroit over the past few years, you can you can feel the growth and the energy. It's really palpable, and it's an amazing thing to see, uh, kind of the renaissance that's going on there, and and you know, StockX really sitting in the middle of it. So, well, Scott, I, I really want to um, express my gratitude once again for your willingness to to join us uh, on the the uh, podcast here. Uh, and also just for the opportunity to work together. It's, uh, you and the team are doing a remarkable job in building really a, a category-defining business that doesn't happen very often. So please know how, how grateful I am for that. But th thank you again for taking the time. Re really enjoyed the discussion and uh, look forward to, to continuing it soon. Thanks so much, Roger, and thanks for the partnership. <laughs>